Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Three, two, one. But I've worked it out. I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer. Jim Calhoun. NASCAR icon Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Herbstreet is on the phone. Friday, May 13, 2022. That is right. It is a very scary Friday, the 13th edition of the Air Tour Sports Podcast. I hope everybody's doing well. Hope everybody's ready for a fun show. First of all, you want to talk about scary. Scott Satterfield coming after Nick Saban. Nick Saban is not happy. Scott Satterfield accuses him of tampering. We'll get into that, uh, and I'll explain why, frankly, I, I don't think Nick Saban has to tamper. From there, we'll get to some college hoops. One, how about Tennessee picking up a five-star on Thursday? We'll discuss that a little bit. Also, kind of another update on the portal. We are now down to the final few weeks. Still a lot of good players left in the portal. Uh, and I talk about who the best players are, the Tyrese Hunters, the Patrick Baldwins, the, the Matt Mayers, guys like that, and where I think they'll ultimately end up, as I do think there's some really good players still in the portal that could be difference makers in college hoops next year. And finally, we will wrap the show with America's favorite segment, where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong. Really fun Friday show. Really fun Friday the 13th show. No need to be scared, baby. Really fun show ahead. But with that said, let's get to the topic of the day. And the topic of the day is really, frankly, the topic of just the, the spring in college sports, right? And that topic is, this whole thing's kind of a mess. Now, look, I, I will say this. Uh, I do think we're at this weird moment in time where there's a lot of new rules coming in. There's changing of the guard and the leadership of the NCAA. There's kind of a weird power grab between the conferences, all that good stuff. So I don't think that we're going to stay in this kind of lawless, wild, wild west world that we're in right now. But there's no doubt that that is what this is right now, the wild, wild west. And it's all stuff that we've talked about on this show throughout the summer. The NIL stuff coming into play both in recruiting, in the transfer portal with high school players, etc. The portal itself as players are coming and going and leaving and leveraging schools for money and all that kind of stuff. We obviously have the tampering allegations over the last couple weeks. We got the NCA over the last couple days saying they're going to come in and fix it even though we all know darn well that they cannot do it. But earlier this week, all of those topics kind of came together in almost a perfect symmetry of everything that has happened this offseason. As for the first time, really, Everybody's been throwing mud at each other. This guy's mad at that guy. That school's mad at this school. Nick Saban got dragged into the mud. Nick Saban, the king, Alabama head coach, by Louisville head coach Scott Satterfield. 
And the reason why is pretty straightforward. Nick Saban, like everybody else in college football, he's been very aggressive in the portal this offseason. By the way, credit to Nick Saban. He saw into the future when the portal first got put into place. He said, look, there's nobody that's going to take advantage more than we will. Alabama certainly did last year, took a couple transfers, including Jamison Williams' first-round draft pick that ended up being a, a wide receiver, excuse me, that ended up being a first-round draft pick. And this offseason, they've been super aggressive. Five transfers in total. Jermaine Burton, a wide receiver from Georgia. Eli Ricks, a cornerback from LSU that might be a first-round draft pick next year. Tyler Steen, an offensive lineman from Vanderbilt. Jameer Gibbs, a running back from Georgia Tech. And Tyler Harrell, a wide receiver from Louisville. Of course, Scott Satterfield is the head coach at Louisville, and he was asked about the situation with Tyler Harrell a few days ago and did not seem to be happy with Nick Saban or Alabama at all. Nick Saban has mostly kind of kept his, uh, his shoulders clean and all this stuff, but Scott Satterfield kind of sort of coming after Nick Saban. Was asked directly about Tyler Harrell earlier this week. Didn't really dodge the subject, didn't call out Nick Saban specifically, but kind of implied that Alabama tampered with him. Here's what Scott Satterfield told 24-7 sports. Well, you can't prove anything. I think it's not only him, it's happened here before. Last year, we had a few guys that jumped into the portal, and the next day, they're announcing where they're going. You can look at that and knew some, you know something was going on before they went into the portal, but I do think that's happening all across the country. It's not just our program, it's every program. It's something we certainly need to look at closely and try to figure out the best way to move forward. So basically, Scott Satterfield says, well, I'm pretty sure he, tra- he, 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 he was tampered with. I can't prove it, but I really feel like Alabama screwed with us, and uh, you know that is why this kid is now at Alabama instead of us. Well, Nick Saban was asked about it, and here was Nick Saban's response to the whole situation. We don't tamper with anybody. I don't know of anybody that tampered with him. You know, I don't really know that anybody's ever tampered with our players. I just think sometimes when things happen, it makes you wonder. So I'm not saying any accusation against anybody that's done anything to our players, and I don't have any knowledge of anybody that's done anything with anybody else's players. So let's get into it. Let's break it down because this is very interesting. Louisville going after Nick Saban. And what I would say is a couple things. First of all, it, it seems to me as though the although they, they are enemies – in this particular case, it seems to me that Scott Satterfield and Nick Saban are basically saying the same thing, something that I've talked about on this show and something that I think everybody that cares about college sports is saying. What Scott Satterfield said is almost identical to what Nick Saban said in that none of us can prove it, but we all kind of know that there's probably something going on and there's probably people getting in other players' ears and letting them know that if you leave here, you can go there and we'll have a scholarship spot open for you. They also have both said kind of publicly, I don't know what I can do about it. And I think we're all on the same page that, like, I do think something should be done. I'm not an anti-player movement. I'm not anti-transfer portal. I'm not anti-NIL. But as I've talked about many times on the show, you can't just have four or five schools recruiting off other schools' rosters. You can't just have Ohio State and Alabama and USC cherry-picking players off each other's rosters in football. The same with, you can't just have Kentucky, John Calipari saying, ooh, I like that guy from there, and I like that guy from there, and I like that. You can't have that. And so we need to figure out some sort of rule to help this out in the process. With that said, though, let's get to the topic itself and the possibility that Nick Saban did in fact transfer or, or did in fact tamper with this Louisville transfer Tyler Harrell and let me just say this no I do not believe that Nick Saban t- uh, tampered with Tyler Harrell and I believe there is one very simple reason why and it's the most obvious basic reason you could possibly imagine the reason that I don't believe that Nick Saban tampered 
with anybody else's players is pretty straightforward. It's because Nick Saban doesn't have to tamper with anybody's players because he's Nick Saban, because he's the greatest coach of all time, because he coaches the preeminent power in college football. As a matter of fact, I would argue that not only is Nick Saban not tampering with other people's players, I think it's the exact opposite. My guess would be there are more players actively reaching out to Alabama through back channels, seeing if there is a roster spot available, than there is the possibility that Nick Saban and Alabama are actually reaching out to other teams' players. To me, what this really is, you know what it is? It's a simple supply and demand issue. I'm not an economist. I don't claim to be great with numbers and data and this and that and the other thing. Ask my tax guy. My taxes are a mess. But that's neither here nor there. Let's not talk about my taxes. But at the same time, this is simple supply and demand. The supply of players that want to go to Alabama greatly exceeds the demand demand of players that want to go to Alabama. Excuse me. See, I told you I'm terrible at this stuff. The the demand of players that want to go to Alabama greatly outweighs the supply of 85 scholarships available. That isn't just my opinion. That's basically an indisputable fact. First of all, if you remember a few years ago, this was one of the most incredible things that I've ever seen on signing day. Do you remember? I can't even remember the kid's name, but it was about four, five, six years ago. And Alabama's class is filling up and they're starting to get to their scholarship limit. And you have a kid on National Signing Day on ESPN that basically says, you know, I am going to, you know, I'm down to these schools and these schools and these schools and these schools. And he waits and he waits, he waits. He says, you know what? And I'm committing to Alabama. And then he pulls out the hat and he does the press conference and he takes pictures. And it turns out that Alabama had actually filled his spot earlier in the day. They had gone into the day with like three or four scholarships available. They're, they're actively pursuing a couple players at each position. And then all of a sudden, guess what happens? Somebody commits at this kid's position. This kid commits on national TV. And all of a sudden, Alabama does have a scholarship for him. And I forget all the details. And I think he ended up having to take a, a gray shirt year and enroll in January. He had to walk on as a freshman. I don't remember all the details. But that is the reality when you were at Alabama. There are a lot of players that want to play for you. And to me, this is the college version of that. The idea that there are simply so many more players than you have scholarships available. And it makes sense for a number of different reasons. First of all, you're Alabama. Everybody wants to play there. Two, it's not as though you have not had success. Oh, I don't know at the wide receiver position. You can argue that somewhere along the way, I don't know if it was after Lane Kiffin got there or the last two or three years or whatever, Alabama has become the new wide receiver U. In the last three years, they've had five first-round picks in the NFL. They had Jerry Judy and Henry Ruggs in 2020. They had Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddell in 2021. And they had Jamison Williams in 2022. Also worth noting, by the way, don't ever forget, Jamison Williams was a transfer, did not fit or did not feel like he was getting the reps he deserves at Ohio State, comes to Alabama and balls out. And so why wouldn't every wide receiver that had the opportunity to play at a school like Alabama not take advantage of it when they hit the portal? It seems pretty straightforward to me. If you're a young player and you only have a year or two to ball out and you have the opportunity to go to Alabama, of course you're going to take that opportunity, especially at a position where Alabama needs players. They lost Jamison Williams. They lost John Mechie. They lost Ajayi Hall, the transfer to Texas, who's, you know, there were some locker room issues. But they lose three key players in that position room. And oh, by the way, every guy that goes there is basically a first-round pick. And so to me, the idea that Alabama was tampering to get this guy doesn't make sense. If anything, it was probably the opposite. He's reaching out 
because again, this is a, a a a place where you can go and have success. It's a position of need for Alabama, and so to me, it's almost a no-brainer. Beyond that, you, you know how I kind of know that what I'm saying is correct. That the fact that Alabama doesn't have to tamper with players because people are reaching out to them and not vice versa. Well, we kind of saw a pretty good example of that over the last couple days. Remember Jordan Addison? And by the way, I know I'm talking a lot about tampering, and I know a lot of you are probably sitting there saying, well, Torres, you said that Lincoln Riley probably tampered with Jordan Addison. And so you, you crush Lincoln Riley, but you're, going, you're defending Nick Saban. Well, first of all, Lincoln Riley has two or three accusations from two or three different head coaches over the course of the last three or four years, right? Like, th- th- to me, when, when Pat Narduzzi is actively calling Lincoln Riley and saying God knows what to him, that's a lot different to me than a coach casually saying, yeah, you know, there was probably something that happened the way that Scott Satterfield did. And on top of that, as I've talked about with Lincoln Riley, wasn't the first accusation. Oklahoma's coaches accused them, uh, accused him of taking players before they had entered the portal after this past season, including Caleb Williams. And of course, this time last year, there was Mike Woods at Arkansas. But beyond that, I actually think Jordan Addison is a perfect example of why Nick Saban probably isn't tampering or his staff. I, Nick Saban certainly isn't. But, but the fact that his staff probably isn't tampering because they don't need to. Because the second they enter the portal and Alabama actually reaches out, all of a sudden, Alabama is now on the list, right? Like Jordan Addison's a perfect example. He hasn't even entered the portal. He's already linked to USC. Then he gets in the portal and it's like, Oh, Alabama's Alabama's interested? Like, like I, I thought I was kind of a done deal here for USC, but now that I'm in the portal, Alabama called. I can work out with Bryce Young this week in Pasadena in California. Maybe I should consider Alabama. And now it looks like Jordan Addison goes from being a lock to USC to USC, Texas, Alabama. And that's a perfect example of exactly what I'm talking about. Alabama doesn't have to tamper because they're Alabama. It's supply and demand. The demand to play there greatly outweighs the supply of scholarships available. And Jordan Addison was one of the lucky ones that was like, oh, wait a second now. You guys are actually interested in having me? I got to at least consider this. And so I don't mean to belabor the point, but all I would finally say to kind of wrap up this segment and move on to some college basketball stuff is exactly what I just said. Is that to me, one, I just don't believe it happened because Nick Saban doesn't have to. But two, this speaks to exactly what Nick Saban told us was going to happen a year or so ago. And I've talked about this the last couple weeks, but I'm just going to warn you going forward. When Nick Saban tells you something will happen, keep in mind that it will. And this is what Nick Saban told you was going to happen a few years ago. Nick Saban, when the one-time transfer rule came in a little over a year ago, Nick Saban said, look, I don't like this, but this is going to help us more than it's going to hurt us. People think it's going to hurt us and people are going to pick apart our roster. No, what's going to end up happening is... We're going to have a situation where there's going to be two, three, four, five, ten guys at the end of the depth chart that are, never going to, that are never going to play. And at the end of the year, those guys are going to enter the portal. But our best players are going to stay. And now we'll be able to evaluate what our areas of weakness are and go out and fix that in the spring. Well, that's exactly what happened last year. You add Henry Toto from uh, Tennessee, an all-SEC linebacker this past year, and you add Jamison Williams, a first-round NFL draft wide receiver. Well, coming out of the spring this year, what was the weakness? It was wide receiver. And so they, they, they are now in good position with Jordan Addison. They have already gotten Tyler Harrell. The offensive line needs work. They already added one piece there. They added a running back going into the spring. And they're in really, really good shape. So no, I do not believe Nick Saban. I do not believe that Nick Saban tampered. Yes, I believe it's Alabama. Yes, I believe, if anything, it's more likely that players are reaching out to Alabama at a rate that they cannot take them 
that Alabama is actively recruiting off other players' rosters, off other teams' rosters. Really interesting conversation. Uh, Scott Satterfield takes another L. Poor Scott Satterfield, man. This guy publicly cannot say anything right. But I just I, I, I get where he's coming from. And like I said, I, I, I think him and Nick Saban are actually speaking the same language. But I don't think this is a case where Nick Saban or his staff actively reached out to a player on his roster. All right, so what I want to do, I want to take a quick break. I want to come back. I want to talk college hoops. First of all, Tennessee, five-star commit. We'll talk about that. The best players left in the portal. We'll hit on that. I'll be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChumbaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. All right, everybody. I am back. Going to be back. Going to be back. I do want to switch gears, talk a little bit of college hoops, and we'll get to some of the transfer portal stuff here in a minute. Because uh, I do want to kind of get you guys and girls caught up on the transfer portal. Obviously, uh, the portal stuff is starting to die down a little bit. But still some really, really talented players that are left that are available. And I want to kind of get you caught up on them. Who is available? Who could go where? All that good stuff. But before we get to that, there was some actual news from the high school basketball recruiting ranks. Where coming into Thursday, there was one uncommitted five-star for the high school class of 2022. In other words, the kids that just graduated high school or are in the process of graduating high school now will play college basketball next year. There was one player left available. His name was Julian Phillips. Long story short on him, he was initially committed to LSU. Will Wade gets fired. He decides to reopen his recruitment. And over the last probably five, six weeks, it has been a mad dash to get interest in Julian Phillips again, four, final five star that's available, six foot eight, McDonald's All American, and finally on Thursday, we got his decision. Bunch of different schools jockeying to get him. It essentially, really, if you kind of read the recruiting writers and all that stuff, it came down to Auburn, Tennessee, and the G League Ignite program. Well, drum roll, please. Julian Phillips, six foot eight wing. Originally from South Carolina, played at Link Academy in Missouri on Thursday, chose to be a Tennessee volunteer. That's right, Rocky Top, Tennessee, da da da, fight, da Okay, I won't do the singing, 
But what? It, what? Talk about a major commitment for Rick Barnes. Rick Barnes does it again. You know what? I would say even really quick before we get into who he is, what it means for for Tennessee. I think this was kind of seen as a little bit of an upset in the recruiting world. He had long time. He had for a long time been believed to be an Auburn. Auburn lean. He ends up at Tennessee. Was there NIL involved? It seems as though uh, both sides, I saw reporters from both sides seem to kind of hint that NIL may have certainly helped the cause. I do not know that for sure. That is the new world that we live in. But what I would tell you is either way, Tennessee got themselves a heck of a player. And so let's get into it. First of all, I mean, like I said a minute ago, this kid is just a real, real, real special talent Kind of, a, you know, my understanding is a little bit of a late emerger last summer around this time is when he really started to emerge as an elite prospect, was committed to LSU, ends up at Tennessee. But you talk about just a kid that is built for the modern era of college basketball. About six foot eight, can step out, can hit threes. But what's really impressive about him is he just has that NBA level athleticism that just pops off the screen and pops off the page when you watch film of him can get up, can make plays in transition, you know, and and when I look at who he is and what he can do, I think there are going to be a lot of highlight reel plays involving this kid at Thompson Bowling Arena next year. Sakai Ziegler has never thrown an alley-oop that he doesn't like, and so I could see the scenario where Julian Phillips time and time and time again ends up on SportsCenter because, again, we're talking about an elite-level athlete, uh, a guy that really I think his game transitions to – not transitions, but really kind of reflects the modern era of basketball, can hit threes, can run the floor, can put the ball on the floor. I think he's going to be a really, really good player in the SEC. And I'll say this is I, I, I think I really like the fit for him as well. Really talented player. But, listen, at the end of the day, what it comes down to is When you go to college, are you going to use that year to get better and to really be put in position to succeed? I do think that will happen at Tennessee, and that's not to say that it wouldn't have happened at Auburn or wouldn't have happened at another college, but I kind of think when you look at the parts that Tennessee has with the coach that they have, I kind of think this is the perfect fit, right? First of all, Rick Barnes, you know, you can criticize Rick Barnes about a lot of stuff, and we'll get into some of that in a minute. But for the most part, he is a heck of a talent developer and a player, a coach who holds his players accountable, right? First of all, the, the talent evaluation and development speaks for itself. Watching the NBA playoffs right now, Grant Williams is playing a big role for the Celtics. Eve's, Eve's, Eve Pons has had his moments uh, throughout the, the NBA season as well. Uh, but what I also like about Rick Barnes is he's a guy that holds his players accountable. I mean, he said it on this podcast. He goes, we are a no excuses program. We get in the film room. We, we talk honestly, we are brutally honest, and sometimes we're really tough on kids in a way that they've never had you know, coaching in this manner before. You look at this past season, now this isn't something that I talked with him about, but you go back to this season, I mean, there were reports that early in the middle of the season, Kennedy Chandler kind of wasn't doing what Rick Barnes needed a point guard of his caliber to do. Rick Barnes got on his butt, Kennedy Chandler got better, and Tennessee doesn't win an SEC championship, at least the SEC tournament title, without Kennedy Chandler playing at the level that he did. And so I think Rick Barnes is going to hold him accountable. And then I do think the other thing as well is the fact that you have veterans in that locker room that are going to hold him accountable as well. For people who forget what that Tennessee roster looks like, they do technically still have two players that are testing the NBA draft waters, although I suspect they'll both be back. Uh, Santiago Viscovi will be a fourth-year player. Josiah Jordan-James will be a fourth-year player. Um, you know, Zakai Ziegler, the point guard, will be a second-year player. So a lot of veterans in this locker room, and I think it, it helps in, in two ways. You know, I remember talking about this with Ty Ty Washington last year when he committed to Kentucky. 
is one, this kid doesn't have to do it all himself. And again, not saying he would have had to do it all himself at Auburn or somewhere else, but he doesn't have to do it all himself. He can take his time and get comfortable, but he also can't coast. He also can't take it easy because he's going to have older players in that locker room to keep him in line. Finally, what I would say, he is a very nice piece on what I think is a very interesting Tennessee team. Now, let's be honest. I know every time that on this show that I say anything nice about Tennessee, I know what's coming next. Rick Barnes doesn't get it done in March. Rick Barnes doesn't get the job done in March. And I'll say this in defense of Tennessee fans. I think there are some times that, that fan bases are in denial about a coach or a player or this or that. The people that, that, that are, are saying Rick Barnes doesn't necessarily get the job done in March, it's not just other fan bases. Tennessee fans will say it as well. We love Coach Barnes. We love what he's done for this program, but it is frustrating in March. I cannot deny that, and I will not deny that. What I would also say, though, is it's not that long ago that I remember Tennessee under, uh, you know, Quanzo Martin, that I remember Tennessee under, um, why am I blanking on the guy's name? The guy that got them in all the trouble with the NCAA, the one-year guy, Donnie Tyndall. Donnie Tyndall. How can I forget Donnie Tyndall? So the point I'm trying to make is Rick Barnes has clearly elevated this program. And the one thing I would also say is all you can really ask for from your coach is to have a team that's good enough to put the team in position every single year and have them in position to be in position to have success in March. What is the old saying? What is the old thing that John Rothstein likes to say? You want to be in position to be in position? One thing you can't deny about Rick Barnes, they're in position to be in position every year at Tennessee. Sometimes they have not taken advantage, including this past season when they lost in the second round off of that SEC tournament championship win. Same time, though, you look at this roster, and I'm just saying, you know, are they the SEC favorite? I don't know. Arkansas is really good. Kentucky's going to be really good. But this is going to be a really good roster as well. As I said, Zakai Ziegler, really good point guard this past season for the Vols. Obviously, started the season, end of the bench in the shadow of Kennedy Chandler. By the end, he was as important as anybody. Nine points per game, three assists, two steals, 35% from three, really solid player. Then you have the two players that I mentioned a minute ago, Santiago Viscovi, who was one of, I think, one of the most improved players in college basketball last year, 13.5 points per game, 40% three-point shooter. Josiah Jordan-James, just a great leader. I'll never forget that moment after he wins the SEC championship game, hugging Rick Barnes on TV, saying, I love this man. I'm blessed to let him coach me. And right now, all those guys are projected to come back. So now you slide in this kid, Julian Phillips, at the four, McDonald's All-American, difference maker. I mean, that's the kind of kid that, like Kennedy Chandler this year, I don't know if he's going to be great in November and December, but in March, he might be a kid that can put you on his back for a game or two and lead you to success. Front court, you also have Olivia Kangwa, who's coming off an injury. He'll be back. Euros Plavic will be back. Plavic, I don't know how to ever say his name. I know how to spell it. And I love Euros. Big guy, really successful. Jonas Adu. But Tennessee's got a really interesting roster next year. So I don't want to belabor the point. I want to get some of the transfer stuff. But good, good, good recruiting win for Rick Barnes. Julian Phillips is headed to Tennessee. I think he will be really good. And when I update that top 25 again, I think I had Tennessee at about 12 or 13 last time. They are going to be knocking on the door of the top 10 with Julian Phillips joining that core of Zakai Ziegler, Santiago Viscovi, uh, Josiah Jordan-James, and others. With that said, I do want to switch gears, uh, and I do want to do a little portal talk because, you know, to me this is really an interesting time of the year. I know I've said it a few times now, but portal season is winding down. May 1st, you know, we're talking about close to two weeks ago now at this point, was the day that you had to have your name in the transfer portal to be eligible for next season. And so right now we haven't really had a ton of portal activity over the last day or, or week or so, excuse me. 
But what we do have is a good collection of really talented players that are in the portal. And those players are going to start making decisions here in the next few weeks and decisions that could frankly impact college basketball in a major way. Now, a lot of the players are testing the NBA draft water. Some of them may never end up back in college basketball. But there are a lot of players that if they come back could have real impact next season, whether it is taking a good team and making them great, making a great team into a national championship contender. But we got a lot of really talented players in the portal. So what I wanted to do here on a Friday was go ahead, get you guys and girls caught up. I'll give you the 10 best players, uh, give or take, that are still in the portal. Now, I'll probably go a little beyond 10, but let's get to some of the best players that are in the portal. And I want to give you an update on where they could end up playing college basketball next year if they do, in fact, return. Number one, the guy that I'm more intrigued by than anybody, Patrick Baldwin Ford, University of Milwaukee. And I've told this story a million times, so if you know his background, forgive me, but this was a top five prospect in the high school class of 2021, a guy that was widely considered to be the same caliber of prospect as Chet Holmgren, as Paolo Bancaro, as A.J. Griffin, Ty Ty Washington, guys like that. But instead of going the traditional route, he decided to go to the University of Milwaukee to play for his father chose Milwaukee over Duke, frankly, which shows you how highly coveted and highly touted that he was, and it just simply didn't work out. Not his fault, but the reality is he gets injured, he struggles, and his dad is ultimately fired. And so when his dad is fired, he kind of makes the dual decision, I'm going to enter the transfer portal, but I'm also going to enter the NBA draft. And if we're being perfectly honest, Patrick Baldwin, six foot nine, kind of that new age forward, a lot of what I was just talking about with Julian Phillips, slasher, scorer, shooter, can, can score in all three phases. He's a guy that's probably realistically going to stay in this NBA draft um, and because he's going to get drafted somewhere, right? So you just don't find guys with his size and skill set with the abilities that he has, even if he struggled at the University of Milwaukee this year. And frankly, another part of it, too, is that he's kind of struggled with injuries dating back to high school. So if you come back to college and if you don't have the success that you think you can, um, then you really put yourself in a bad position next year. With that said, though, I think there's also the opposite could be true as well. You're going to be a late first rounder, early second rounder this year, this less than a year after most people thought that you were a potential lottery pick. And so the question is, do you come back to college basketball, go to a better spot with more talent around you, and try to play yourself back into that lottery conversation, which is where I think he could be drafted next year if he were to have a good season. So it's a fascinating thing, and it'll be really interesting to see what happens in terms of his recruitment if he does elect to come back to college basketball. Two schools that seem to be very prominently just mentioned with him. One, there's all sorts of rumors about Kentucky. Uh, he is kind of that face-up four that if you believe in Jacob Toppin, then maybe they have that guy. If, they don't, if you don't believe in Jacob Toppin, he kind of fits that spot perfectly alongside Oscar Shibway. The other one that I think makes a lot of sense is probably North Carolina. We've talked at length, Brady Manick, obviously we know uh, Brady Manick is the only player that North Carolina is losing off last year's national runner-up, guy with the big beard, long hair, all that good stuff. And I think Patrick Baldwin would perfectly fit in there at North Carolina. Don't know if it's going to happen, but I do think it's worth monitoring. Patrick Baldwin, to me, the best player in the portal. I don't think we're going to get clarification on if he's even returning to college basketball for another couple weeks. Uh, number two on this list, a player that is returning to college basketball, Tyrese Hunter, the guard that, <laughs> you know, I say it all the time, Helen Troy, the face that launched that launched a thousand ships. 
Uh, Tyrese Hunter was the the guy that launched a thousand Twitter hot takes when he entered the transfer portal, and it was because he was the best player on a power conference team that went to the Sweet 16. And a lot of people were like, what are we even doing here? I mean, you're playing in the Big 12, you go to the Sweet 16, and you still decide to enter the portal. But he does, that buzz has died down, and now I believe he's the best lead guard available in the portal right now. Not a big guard, he is one of the few players on this list that is definitely coming back to college basketball. But when you talk about a guy that averaged 12 points and 5 assists per game in the Big 12 last year, with all of the talented teams in that league, Kansas, Texas Tech, Texas was great defensively, Baylor was the number one seed, it shows you how good this kid is and how good he can be. Not really a ton of new news with his recruitment, at least as far as I know, down to six schools at uh, you know at the last update that he gave, Gonzaga, Kansas, Tennessee, Louisville, Texas, and Purdue. Um, I think we can probably pretty comfortably eliminate Purdue from the mix here. Uh, I just get the sense that NIL-wise, they're maybe not ready to compete with some of the big boys. Tennessee, I think they're all kind of set in the backcourt. We just mentioned Julian Phillips, who's more of a wing, but they also have a kid, Tyree Key, that committed a few weeks ago. My guess is that it probably comes down to Gonzaga and Kansas. will be really interesting to see. It feels as though uh, his recruitment should be coming to an end here soon. Speaking of kids that are basically down to Gonzaga in Kansas. Kevin McCuller, uh, Texas Tech, is a really, really interesting prospect. So this was a kid, uh, six foot six. He's been at Texas for four years now, dating back. He was actually on the roster of the Final Four team in 2019, but redshirted that year. He struggled with injuries. Really good player um, if you could get past the injuries. And, and the stats don't blow you away. He averaged about 10 points, 5 assists per game this year. But, I mean, he's just one of those guys. He's got these size, skill, measurables that you simply can't teach. Uh, you know, six foot six, great defender, lead playmaker, lead ball handler. I saw this stuff throughout the year. Texas Tech doesn't have a point guard. Yeah, they did. He just wasn't a traditional point guard uh, in Kevin McCuller, who did stand six foot six. In terms of his recruitment, like I said, he is down to Gonzaga and Kansas, testing those NBA draft waters. He's won. I don't know that he's quite at that Patrick Baldwin level in terms of a guy that is a for sure, uh, you know, first round pick. I don't even know if he would necessarily be drafted. He's a really good college basketball player. He has announced that if he comes back to college, it will be Kansas or Gonzaga. I'll be honest, either one would be fascinating because if he goes to Kansas, then he's still in the Big 12. He's got to go play at Texas Tech, and we know how those Texas Tech fans uh, handled the return of Chris Beard last year. I don't think it would be quite as bad, but it would be interesting. And then I think just seeing him at Gonzaga with the tempo and the pace that they play at, it'd be really fascinating. Kevin McCuller, number three. Number four, yet another player who is testing the NBA draft waters, Josh Minot from Memphis. I have him a little bit higher than most. Uh, he is a, a, a projection guy. He's a guy that's more about the measurables. The, um, you know, he's more a guy that, to me, you know, the stats weren't great, but he was at Memphis, which, you know, we know they, they, all 13 guys on that, that team, Penny Hardaway was playing him at various points this year. And so Penny Hardaway, you know, Penny Hardaway went deep into his bench. The, the rotations really never figured themselves out. And then Josh Minot, because of the fact that he was, um, you know, one of the lower rated recruits on the team, all of a sudden he's taking a backseat to Imani Bates. He's this, he's that, he's whatever. But he was kind of one of the more consistent players for Memphis last year, even if the stats don't jump out at you. The thing that stands out about him, again, six foot eight, six foot nine, can play on the perimeter, can play down low, and he's another one. 
even though the stats don't blow you away, the NBA people really like him. And so I think there's a very strong possibility that he does not ultimately end up coming back to college basketball. The buzz is he's from Florida, so maybe a potential Florida State fit there. If he comes back to college basketball, he's going to be really good next year. But he's also the kind of player that I could see the scenario where an NBA team says, hey, we'll draft you in the second round, but we'll pay you first-round money. We'll draft you in the late first round, whatever. Because, again, he's a guy that you can get potentially as an NBA team, late first, early second. And, you know, you develop him for a year instead of waiting till next year where he might be a top 10 type pick. So he's going to be an interesting one to follow. Not a ton on his recruitment. I think Florida State was one that has made sense from the beginning. Number five, just another guy that, that again, fits in that mold of really good college player testing the NBA draft waters and would have a fascinating recruitment if he returned. That's Matthew Mayer, Matthew Meyer from, um, from Baylor. Uh, six foot ten. if you remember, big white kid, shoots threes, was part of that national championship team. And I'll say this for Matthew Mayer. I always call him Mayer, it's Matthew Meyer, but, or maybe it's Meyer and Mayer, whatever. It's spelled M-A-Y-E-R, so you get the point. <laughs> anyway, really talented player, um, and I thought it was interesting this year. He averaged a career high, just under 10 points per game, but he also shot the ball worse than he had in the past. And so it's clear to me, you know, he's a player that's really good with other, you know, really good players around him. Two years ago, you win a national championship with Jared Butler, with Davion Mitchell. Um, and with, 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 with Matthew Mayer, uh, I get the sense that, you know, he would really thrive with other talented players around him. Now, Baylor had really good players last year, but if you remember, people were in, in, the, in the lineup, out of the lineup, injured, this, that, the other thing. And so I think it's going to be curious to see what he decides to do. Uh, he is testing those NBA draft waters in some ways. I think it probably just makes sense for him to stay in the NBA draft because he's proven he can play at a high level with other really good players. Now it's just time to go get paid as a professional. I could also see him coming back, finding the perfect spot for him and trying to thrive and ball out. That perfect spot, it seems as though he is the guy that North Carolina fans want to fill that four spot uh, You know, in terms of Brady Manick being gone. Um, I don't know that definitively that, that Matthew Mayer even wants to come back to college, but if he did, that is the spot that makes the most sense. So Matthew Mayer at number five, really interesting player, really could see the scenario where he ends up at North Carolina if he decides to come back. Really quickly, back end of the top ten, uh, Pete Nance, interesting player, brother of Larry Nance, son of Larry Nance. Um, no, the brother and father are separate people, obviously. Larry Nance Jr. plays in the NBA. Larry Nance was a former NBA player, his father. And this kid's like a, a taller player, but really, really athletic. Played at Northwestern these past few years. 15.6.5 rebounds per game. Late bloomer. Just a really, really, really talented player. Um, and again, kind of that big four that can stretch the floor, but also good around the rim and all that good stuff. He's another one. It looks like North Carolina is in the mix there. It looks like Illinois is obviously going to be a factor with him as well. Uh, he played in the Big Ten, so that would be interesting going right down the road in the state of Illinois. Illinois has obviously had some good success in the portal this summer with Terrence Shannon, a Chicago native who returned from Texas Tech. But to me, this is a really good player, really underrated player. I don't think a lot of people know about because of the fact that he played at Northwestern. Number seven. Grant Sherfield, guard from Nevada. And all I can say is, some people think I'm too harsh on Steve Alford, uh, but this is the perfect example of what happens when Steve Alford's your head coach. You have a great player in Grant Sherfield. 19 points per game this year, four rebounds, six and a half assists. I think he was one of the most underrated players in all of college basketball. 
He balls out. The team around him is a mess. There's transfers. There's infighting. There's this. There's that. And he, he decides to enter the portal. Not a huge guard, but really good lead guard. And the thing about him is I believe he can really thrive at the high major level. He originally committed to UCLA under Steve Alford. When Steve Alford um, was let go, he opened his recruitment, went to Wichita State. Then he ended up at Nevada the past two seasons. At Nevada, averaged 18 points and six rebounds, two, or 18 points and six assists two years ago, 19 points and six and a half assists this past season. This kid's just a gamer. This kid's a gamer. I think he's totally underrated. He's not a great athlete, but I, I, I don't think he has to be. I think he's smart with the ball. I think he can do the things that need to get done. Really curious to where he ends up. There really hasn't been a ton of buzz with Grant Sherfield. Just a really, really talented guard. He has done it for three years in college basketball now. And like I said, it's been a little bit of quiet in terms of his recruitment. We will see where he ends up, but just a really, really good player, Grant Sherfield. Number eight, Isaiah Mosley. Um, Isaiah Mosley's one of these interesting kids. Really talented mid-major player. Enters the portal at the last minute. Played at Missouri State. I get the sense that somebody probably offered him an NIL situation or he was, pro he was told, hey, if you get in the portal, we'll make sure we get you paid somewhere. Just a really good kind of number two guard, off guard, plays off the ball. He's not really a primary playmaker, but 20 and a half points per game, 40% from three-point range. Kansas, Kansas State, and Texas Tech are among the schools that are interested. He visited Mississippi State this past weekend, according to John Rothstein. So it'll be curious to see where he ends up. I think he could be a really good kind of fourth or fifth option for a, you know an NCAA tournament caliber team. Could see the scenario if Kansas loses Christian Brown to the NBA, that he steps in there and fills that kind of void. Isaiah Mosley at number eight. Number nine. The man that is unquestionably the most interesting player on this list for several reasons, Keontae Johnson. Uh, Keontae Johnson, we all remember, obviously a very scary situation. He played at University of Florida uh, a year and a half ago, collapses in the middle of a game. Um, and, and that was just a very scary moment. He has not played since. Um, and he recently graduated from the University of Florida. He enters the portal, and it's unclear if, if – He's ever going to be cleared to play college basketball again. He's got one of these deals where I don't know all of the details, but he's got one of these insurance policies where if he never plays basketball again, he can collect a big chunk of change. And so it's uncertain if he is going to try and play, if he's going to try to collect the money, if anyone will clear him to play. And then on top of all that, something very interesting that happened, um, he was actually accused of sexual assault in his final few weeks at Florida. Now, nobody's saying he's guilty. Nobody's saying he definitively did it. But he, there, there is an open police report on him right now, and I can't see the scenario where between the health issues and, of course, also on top of that, um, you know, an, an open criminal case, I can't see anybody really taking a chance on this kid, but he is a really talented player. This was the preseason SEC player of the year last season before his uh, scary, scary, scary incident. He is at number nine. Number 10, really quick, Teddy Allen. That was the kid that went for 37 points against my UConn Huskies in the NCAA tournament. Uh, he played at New Mexico State. He's another one. He's entered the, NCAA, uh, the NBA draft. The intention is to stay, but also entered the portal just to be safe. Now, what's interesting about him, first of all, he's done it at the high major level. People don't realize this. He was actually Nebraska's leading scorer two years ago. So it's not as though he can't produce at the really high levels of college basketball. But what's also worth noting, he has played, and you're going to get a trip out of this. If my math is correct, 
he's been at five schools in the past five years, uh, dating back to he started it at West Virginia. From there, he ended up at Wichita State, never played there, ended up transferring to a JUCO, Nebraska, and then New Mexico State. Five schools in five years. This would be six and six. My guess would be that if there's ever, you know, I don't know if he's going to be eligible to play in college because, you know, the one-time transfer is supposed to be the one-time transfer. It's not supposed to be the five-time transfer. So he's one if he even comes back to college. I wonder if he would uh, be eligible, but he is in at number 10. Quickly going through some of the other big names, Xavier Pinson from LSU is still in the portal. He's down to a few schools, including Mississippi State. Guy that I really like that's kind of under the radar, Osun Osunyi, who played at St. Bonaventure, remember. St. Bonaventure two years ago made the NCAA tournament, entered this past season in the top 25. It didn't work out, but this guy's an elite shot blocker. I think he's going to be really good at his next stop in college basketball. Curious where he ends up. Malachi Smith from Chattanooga, really good player. Uh, He was the conference player of the year in the SOCON. Keep in mind that he, of course, his head coach uh, from Chattanooga is now at South Carolina, so that could be a good fit there. Uh, but he was a guy that this past season averaged uh, 19.9, oh, so just under 20 points per game, seven rebounds, three assists, and over 40% from three-point shooting. Really interesting name there. A couple other ones that are worth keeping an eye on. One, Ricky Council, a guard from Wichita State. He has been linked to Arkansas. As I record here late on Thursday, Arkansas just had a player enter the transfer portal, so they now, assuming that Jalen Williams goes pro, would have a scholarship available for him, so we'll see what happens with Ricky Council. Keon Brooks from Kentucky, no idea what he's doing. I think he's still testing these NBA draft waters. Uh, If he comes back to college, and I think he will, I could see the scenario where he ends up in one of these Big Ten schools. He's from Indiana originally. I think Michigan State, Purdue, those kind of schools were involved out of high school. I think he'd be a really good fit in some of those places. And then finally, Imani Bates. We're all on Imani Bates' watch. Uh, I talked about him on last show or last Friday's show. I believe he'll end up at Louisville. If he does, would be a really nice piece for Kenny Payne. Imani Bates, the last player on this list. All right, this is what I want to do. I do want to go ahead and take a quick break. I want to come back. I do want to wrap with our favorite, where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong. Where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong. Really fun segment. We'll wrap the show there. We will get out of here. Fun Friday show. Busy Friday show. We'll be right back. All right, we're going to get back to the show in a minute. But before we do, our partners, they're back. DraftKings and the DraftKings Sportsbook, they have an incredible offer. For first-time users, I want to tell you about it. The NBA playoffs are heating up. Here is the offer that they have all NBA playoffs long. Bet $5 money line on any team in any game in these playoffs, and if that team wins, you win $150 in free bets. That is right. Two games tonight. So you like Boston. You like Milwaukee. You like Memphis. You like Golden State. Bet $5 on any of those teams, and if they win, you get $150 in free bets courtesy of the DraftKings Sportsbook. Here's how it works. Click the link in the show description and sign up for a new account with DraftKings and the DraftKings Sportsbook and make your first deposit. Make a $5 bet on any team, and if that team wins, you get $150 in free bets courtesy of DraftKings and the DraftKings Sportsbook. It's the best offer going. It's going all playoffs long, so make sure to take advantage now. 
If you or somebody you know has a gambling problem, crisis counseling and referral services can be accessed by calling 1-800-GAMBLER, 1-800-426-2537 in Illinois. Gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER in Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Virginia, West Virginia, Wyoming, 1-800-9-WITHIN in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado, 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa, 1-888-532-5300 in Virginia, 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona, or call or text Tennessee Redline at 1-800-889-9789 in Tennessee. Must be 21 plus or over to enter, 18 plus or over in Wyoming, Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, Wyoming only. Minimum $5 deposit, minimum $5 wager, eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for full terms and conditions. All right, everybody, I am back. Good to be back. Good to be back. Final segment of the show. So good to be back. Thank you again to our partners, DraftKings and the DraftKings Sportsbook. Incredible offer for tonight's games. Any games this weekend, any games left in the NBA playoffs, bet $5, money line bet, $150 in free cash, courtesy of DraftKings. With that said, I do want to wrap the show with what is America's favorite podcast segment. We all know it by now, where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong. I really like doing this at the end of the week. Listen, sports are supposed to be fun. I know at times I can get kind of serious on this show and yell and scream and this and that, but sports are ultimately supposed to be fun. I think it's a fun way to end the week with where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong. Once we get back to football, it's probably going to go back to the middle of the week, but right now there's not as much going on on these Friday shows. Great way to end the week by making fun of myself. So with that said, let's get into where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong. By now, you know the concept. Very straightforward. Uh, Stole this from my buddy Colin Cowherd. Uh, Colin does where Colin was right, where Colin was wrong every week. I thought it'd be fun to bring to this show basically doing the the walk of shame, essentially, right? Nobody loves to talk about all the stuff they get right more than your boy Taurus, but nobody, uh, you know, also has to, you know, I got to hold myself accountable, too, when I get stuff wrong. Got to give myself a little slap on the wrist. So we do where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong, talking about my best and worst opinions, takes, whatever you want from throughout the previous couple weeks. Where Aaron was right. Did you see any of the NBA games on Tuesday night? Final score in Philadelphia. Philadelphia playing Miami. I think the game was technically in Miami, whatever. Miami wins 120 to 85. Second game, Phoenix wins 110 to 80. Last Friday, Philly beats Miami 99 to 79. Listen, this JJ Reddick debate is over. I know he got all worked up. I know he misunderstood what I said, but the bottom line is as much as NBA Twitter was mad at me, I was right. JJ Reddick was wrong. When NBA players play real defense, they can shut down anybody. Sorry, KD. I know, KD, you said there's no way anybody could be held to 75 or 80 points. Well, this has happened three times in the last week, and this is under the new rules in the NBA where you can't even really defend anybody. Imagine if players, as I've said all along, could play the way that they did in the 80s, 90s, and early 2000s. There's a reason that those great Michael Jordan games that we all remember reverentially were in the 80s and the 90s. It was because defense, it was the, the defensive rules were different. The players were allowed to do things that they're not allowed to do now. And with that said, we still have games in the 80s with the rules as they are. So I'm sorry, JJ Redick. I know you call me an F head, but you're wrong on this one. I'm right. Three games in the last week in the score with scores in the 80s, in the in the 70s. And the bottom line is, this is with the current NBA defensive rules. Imagine what these scores would be like if we could go back to the rules of the 80s and 90s. Where Aaron was wrong. So I'll just say this. I was just dead wrong on Luka. 
Luca is, you know, obviously, look, he's one of the best players in the NBA right now, uh, and, and I'm blown away every time I watch this guy. This was a guy that, if you remember, he was in the same draft as DeAndre Ayton, as Marvin Bagley, as Trey Young. He was a guy that obviously most of us stateside did not get to see a ton of other than on YouTube clips, and I just said, I don't really get it. I don't really understand what the big hype is about this kid. He's a nice player. He's a playmaker. I get all that, but he doesn't look athletic. He doesn't look quick enough. I think he's going to get eaten alive in the NBA. Regardless of what happens going forward, what I can definitively say, I was dead wrong because this guy is one of the most talented players in the NBA right now. He uh, doesn't have very much around him with Dallas. Took Phoenix to the brink in these playoffs. And I just think he is, I don't think, it's obvious he is one of the rising stars in the NBA. This is a guy that's going to win MVPs. He's already made multiple All-Star games. And this is a guy that in these playoffs averaged over 30 points, 10 rebounds, and about 7 assists per game. I never saw this coming. If you've been following me a while, I don't even think I had this podcast when Luka was getting drafted, but I just did not see Luka Doncic being this player. I was dead wrong on Luka. Where Aaron was right. Let's go back to the Julian Phillips commitment from a minute ago. Talked about how he commits to Tennessee. He is the final five-star off the board. One thing did you notice? You know who got five stars this year? Arkansas, Auburn, Tennessee, Kentucky, Duke got a bunch of them, North Carolina, whoever. You know who got none of them? The G League Ignite program. When the G League Ignite program was first put in place, this was supposed to be the death knell of college basketball. Now, admittedly, at that time, there wasn't NIL, but what I said was, look, I don't know if this program is not going to work, but I got a lot of questions. So let me get this straight. You take these kids for six months. They don't play anywhere. They just practice all the time. Um, and when they do play, it's on YouTube or streaming or Facebook or whatever. They're playing in empty gyms. I'm not saying that no one is going to pick that league, but what I am saying is when you look at the exposure that Duke provides, that Kentucky provides, that Memphis provides, that Louisville provides, that Arkansas provides, college basketball is a heck of an option. Now you add in what NIL can do for these kids, and I'm just saying this G League Ignite program, I, I don't know if it's going to exist in a year or two. What is the upside of going to this program unless you really, really, really hate school? Unless you just have zero interest in academics at all? If that's the case, then yeah, go pro, train for a year, get ready for the NBA draft the following season. But if you can just get through Sociology 101, what college basketball can do for you, the exposure, the spotlight, the stage, two games a week on national TV. I'll never forget, Trey Young said this last year in the playoffs. He goes, the biggest adjustment for me to the NBA we didn't get any exposure. When I played at Oklahoma, we were on national TV twice a year. I played on national TV once the entire season before the playoffs with the Atlanta Hawks. And so you have everything that college basketball provides. Now you have NIL, and I'm just saying. I said years ago, I said two years ago when this program started, I have questions about the G League Ignite. The G League Ignite appears to be basically dead as unless something changes quick, they have no players from this year's class committed. Maybe they steal somebody at the last minute. But I'm just saying, it has been one L after the other for G League Ignite. Where Aaron was wrong. So we had another incident with fans kind of dealing with players and players' families this weekend. Chris Paul's family felt like they were harassed by fans. Now, we did, they did the investigation, and, you know, as time went on, maybe it wasn't as aggressive as Chris Paul thought. We all saw the video of him yelling and screaming. But what I would say is, my opinion on this particular subject changed and it changed having been in the stadium 
with Dave Chappelle a few weeks ago when the person rushed the stage. I told the story on last Friday's episode, but I was in the stadium when it happened, and it's changed my perspective. For years, we've had these kind of player-fan interactions, and I've always just kind of said, like, look, this is the cost of doing business. If you're a wealthy NBA player, you're making $20, $30 million a year, there are going to be parts of the job that you don't like. This is just something you have to deal with is a drunk, yelling, screaming, being aggressive, whatever. Being in that stadium, though, with Dave Chappelle, when somebody literally had a weapon and somebody rushed him, and thankfully he is fine, but it really kind of made me reevaluate. You know, this could happen in a basketball game. This could happen, I I suppose, in a baseball game, and it made me realize I don't know what the answers are, but we can't just have these crazy interactions between fans and the players, fans and the families, whatever. So I don't have all the answers. I don't know if it's a separate section for family members. I don't know if there's whatever for players, but this is just crazy, and it's something that needs to be addressed. It keeps going on. I know the Chris Paul situation wasn't extreme, but my opinion has changed on this. I really was kind of unsympathetic to the players. That has changed over the last couple weeks. Where Aaron was right. Anyone paying attention to these playoff ratings? They are through the roof, and I think it's because a few reasons that I've told you for years. One, I believe that, look, the political stuff hurt the NBA, okay? We don't have to get into all this and all that, and I'm not saying that players aren't allowed to have political opinions. What I am saying is when a a fan tunes into the games, the second a game ends, they don't want to lecture on this, that, gun control, police violence, whatever. We just tune in to watch basketball. Well, the NBA, to its credit, has done a good job of scaling back some of that stuff, but what I also believe, the real reason NBA ratings are up I think it's easy to like these teams in the playoffs. Giannis, homegrown, in Milwaukee, wants to be there, isn't forcing trades, isn't demanding trades, isn't refusing to speak to his team. Same with, you know, John Morant, who's a breath of fresh air in Memphis. Same with Devin Booker and Chris Paul and DeAndre Ayton in Phoenix. Same with Jason Tatum, who we'll get into in a minute, in Boston. These guys are likable, they're relatable, and the biggest thing that I think has hurt the NBA all these trade demands and switching teams and going from one team to the other and player empowerment, I think it's great for Twitter. I think it's great for the offseason. But once the season starts, it's hard to relate and it's hard to enjoy a game where you're a two-game losing streak away from your star player demanding a trade. I am glad that we appear to be past the player empowerment era. I am glad that the young stars in this league seem to embrace being the face of a franchise, whether it is Joel Embiid, whether it is... um, you know, Giannis, whether it is Luka, whether it is John Morant, whatever, but the ratings are up, and I believe that there was, no one's anti-player empowerment or anything like that, but it can skew too far the other way. I think it has over the last few years. I think it's good for the NBA. Some of these young stars feel differently. Where Aaron was wrong, so Thursday night was the NFL schedule release, and so this is an easy way for me to talk about the schedule release, but the big week one game, the opener of the season, is Bills at Rams. And I was wrong on Josh Allen. I was wrong on him coming out of college, and I was wrong on him at this time last year when he got that massive extension. And I said, you know, I don't really know that you can pay him all that much money. Now, obviously, I understand that that's the nature of the business, that's the economics of it. You ultimately have to give the guy money when all these other quarterbacks are making money. I just said, I don't know if he's worth all the money that they're giving him. Well, apparently he was because he dueled Patrick Mahomes in one of the great NFL playoff games in the history of the sport, and now the NFL wants to make him the face of the opener of the entire season against the Rams, that Thursday night game, 
at SoFi Stadium. That will be the Super Bowl unveiling, the Super Bowl rings, all that good stuff. I was dead wrong on Josh Allen, man. This dude is a baller, and he is very much going to be one of the faces of the NFL going forward. Finally, where Aaron was right. I know it's been a tough couple days for the Boston Celtics. Obviously, they blew that massive lead to the Milwaukee Bucks on Wednesday night. But what I would say is this. Jason Tatum has emerged as an absolute superstar in this NBA playoffs. He outplayed Kevin Durant in round one against Brooklyn. I know he's struggling a little bit with Giannis in round two, but this guy is an emerging star. And this was a guy, I got to give myself a little pat on the back, I was way ahead of than anybody else, more, more so than I would say anybody else. If you remember, he came out in the same draft as Lonzo Ball and Markel Fultz, and you can go on YouTube, okay? If you go on YouTube, I did prior to that draft an interview with Chris Broussard, a buddy of mine. I got to know Chris because of that interview at Fox Sports. And he asked me in that draft, he said on the interview, he said, who's your favorite player in the draft? I assume it's Markel Fultz. I said, nope, it's Jason Tatum. And if you remember that draft, I used to call him Markel Fultz truthers. Everybody made the decision that Markel Fultz was the best player in that draft. And I said, I don't see it. I don't get it. What's the big deal? Wow, he can do a lot of stuff. He doesn't impact games. He doesn't impact winning. He puts up stats when it doesn't matter. That ends up being right. But what I also saw in Jason Tatum is who he is today. Big wing, six foot nine, can shoot, can make plays, um, you know, kind of has that, you know, Larry Bird fader, almost a Kevin Durant, uh, you know, element to his game. Catch the ball in the mid post, make plays, catch the ball in the high post, make plays, shoot threes, whatever. I told everybody before that draft, this was definitely before I had the Aaron Torres podcast, I said, Jason Tatum will be the best player out of this draft, and he absolutely has been. All right, I think that's it for this episode of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. How about that? What a fun show today. Did AT do it again or did AT do it again? Did I deliver or did I deliver? Fun episode of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. I do think, though, it's time for me to get out of here. Before we do, I want to remind everybody, make sure you're subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Music, wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure that you are subscribed. Also, make sure to rate and review the show. Go ahead, give us a quick five stars. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, all that good stuff. Make sure you're following on social media, at Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter, at Aaron Torres Pod on Instagram, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com. Fun couple weeks of shows. We'll be back on Monday, back to the normal schedule, three episodes next week, and we'll figure things out for the rest of the summer. But listen, the content keeps coming out, and I appreciate your guys' support. The numbers have not dipped since the end of the college basketball season, since the end of the college football season. It is because of the support of guys and girls like you that I'm able to do this show that I do, and I love it, and I appreciate you guys and girls. With that said, it is time for me to get out of here. By the way, some big announcements coming for this podcast in the coming weeks. But with that said, it's time for me to get out of here right now. So I hope everybody has a good weekend. Stay out of trouble on Friday the 13th. I will be back on Monday with a new episode. Shout out to Torrent Craig. Shout out to Rachel, who hates my voice. Shout out to JJ Reddick, UF head. I was right. You were wrong where Aaron was right. I'll be back on Monday. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.